0: You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm. And today we're going to be talking about Civitas Nihelium. Is that, is that right, James? That's
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> listening in, listening in with like very intent ears. Yeah, perfect, perfect.
0: Nailed it. One take. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Civitas Nihelium. Civitas Nihelium is a cyberpunk game. It's very interesting. And we are also joined today by the designer of the game, James Bradley. James, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. It's a it's a great honor. Thank you.
2: That's really nice of you. And this is a, a very special episode for us because it's actually the first time that Always be, Player One has been sent a copy of the game very, very generously by the developer, by James. Wow. So... Yes. So Civitas is always going to have a very special place in our hearts uh, as the first game to come to us
0: this way. And we're very grateful for you joining us to talk about it with us today. James is having doubts now. I sat there thinking, what's wrong with these guys? Why is no one else?
1: To- <laughs> <laughs> no, I know game designers. They're precious with their, with their wares. It's understandable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just before we begin, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you guys can support the show. As you know, we've been running a patron for a while and if you sign up to our patron, you can get access to our behind-the-scenes show, The Planning Phase. The Planning Phase is a little 30-minute show which is released every off week, every time we don't release an Always Player One episode. On that Friday, we release a Planning Phase instead, exclusive to our patrons. You know about that already, we've been talking about that for ages. What's new, though, is we now have a coffee page where you can go and you can buy us a cup of coffee. Uh, We'll be using this to uh, set goals for the show. We're currently looking to get hold of a copy of Lost Ruins of Arnak. And if you log on to our coffee page, which is in the description, you just scroll down and and click on the link in the description. Uh, You can donate... Uh, as little as as $3, I believe, is the is the minimum donation. And that will go towards our goal of getting a, a physical copy of Lost Ruins for the show. I think we're covering that on episode 27, Scruffy, is that right? Yes, I think so. It's okay. I, I knew. I just wanted to put you on the spot. Russell. <laughs> there is a time limit
2: on that one. We need to have that one filled before the, we record the episode, obviously. So if you are interested in hearing about our impressions of how the Lost rooms of Arnak plays and how it plays in the real world, then do
0: buy us a coffee
2: over there and help make it happen.
0: Excellent. But enough about us. Let's crack on with Civitas. And before, James, I know you're chomping at the bit to get started, but before we dive in, uh, Scruffy's going to tell those who haven't played a little bit about the game. So Civitas Helium
2: is a game of multiple iterations. It has a few multi-platform versions, you could say. The main focus of this episode is going to be the board game, and we will also be talking about a text adventure video game. So in the board game, you take on the role of a detective and a rookie attempting to solve several crimes. The way you do this is you gather evidence and manipulate Three different resources by undertaking trials that come in the form of cards in your investigation timeline. These cards can be witnesses, locations, and encounter cards, and the trials often involve you rolling a d10 fate dice, comparing it to one or two stats on your characters, and then seeing if you are successful. The different resources are used in different ways to further your ability to encounter more of the cards, and ultimately your goal is to remove the evidence from the crime you're investigating and undergo the trials on that final encounter card. Once you've solved three crimes, you win the game, that is if you haven't worn out uh, your investigator along the way through wounds or a loss of reputation, forcing them into obscurity. I think that's a fairly good summary of the game. Uh, am, I, am I missing anything, Norm? Am I missing anything, James? That you would uh, you want to add?
1: I would add the immersive soundtrack, the play along oh, yes. soundtrack that goes with the game.
2: Of ju- course, just
1: just because it's, it's it's one of the things that took me forever to do, <laughs> and um, it cost an arm and a leg to get it right and get it mastered and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's where the, it's where the value really really sits in the, in the in the game itself. I think. That's how I feel about it anyway. It's, it's a very important
2: part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I had it on while I was playing, and uh, I was—I have that one in my notes to ask you about as well later in the show, so
0: I'm sure we'll circle back to that. Oh, I personally think you did a great job, Scruffy. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, so uh, without any further ado, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and, and bring James on the show. So James, for, for people who aren't aware of who you are or haven't heard of your games before, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into the gaming hobby? What kind of games do you enjoy playing yourself? And what are you most known for in the hobby?
1: Okay, great. So my name's James Bradley. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. I guess I started my fascination with board games when I was um, in the Royal Navy. I was an aircraft engineer for, for four and a half years when I was, when I was in my very early, very early 20s. Um, from the age of 17 to 21 and a half, I think that, that, that seems about right, yeah. Um, I left just after September the 11th happened. And uh, in the Royal Navy, you spend a lot of your time sat down doing nothing. And we played a game called Uckers, which is a game like Ludo that's been manipulated over several, 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 several hundred years of time with, within the Royal Navy. And inside every ship, you play this game called Uckers and every ship has a board. And on the back of the board, is, are written down the times when people have like nine-bitted you so like like playing pool when someone beats you at pool and they eight ball you they, they write on the back of the board where it had happened and we had a board in our on board our ship the Ark Royal you turn it over and you had a look and it would it literally went all the way back to the Falklands it was it was fantastic to see all these different people playing it and stuff and I just got obsessed with playing that game <laughs> and I left the Navy at the age of 21 like I said and and kind of dibbied and dabbled about with different things. I, I, I moved to to Oxford and studied at the Oxford School of Drama and became a professional actor. Wow. Um, I studied acting and then moved into film production, and now I run I run a company called Liftoff Global Network out of Pinewood Studios. And my fascination for board games still exists. So I've been doing the board games on the side as sort of a vocation, sort of a vacation, I guess, not vocation. And I've tried <laughs> to merge the two together to make it more of a um, – the hobby becomes something that I earn money from, or not earn money from, but enable myself to kind of, I guess, platform it, I suppose, is the right kind of word. It's not really, if it pays for itself and it's a symbiotic ecosystem, then that's the kind of the, the role. I want it to be able to be something that I can do in my free time that isn't just consuming everything. So I've managed to managed to achieve that with with the Civitas universe and the first game Civitas Nihilion. I got into solo player gaming when I realized very early on, well, not very early on, but very sort of midway through a relationship that I was having um, with with one of my ex-partners, she, she said that she really liked The Lord of the Rings. Now I loved board games and she wouldn't play any of them. So I got her The Lord of the Rings as a card game and she wouldn't play it. I tried and tried and tried and she wouldn't. <laughs> and, then, and then when I was moving out, boo-hoo-hoo, when I was moving out of the flat, when we were, when we were going our separate, separate ways, I literally had the box in my hand and it said on the box for one to two players. And I was like, one player. (laughs) And that was it. I I thought, right. Okay. I'm going to put a log on the fire. I'm going to put on the the soundtrack to the Lord of the Rings. I'm going to learn how to play this game. And I'm going to play the Lord of the Rings card game on my own with the fire fire blazing and the Lord of the Rings, the card, the, the soundtrack on. And that was it. I was just Immersed in Middle Earth. I loved it. Absolutely loved playing. It was wonderful. It was like being back in the book, being but being back in the books. I I loved loved all three of them. They're fantastic. And the films were wonderful. And just playing the game, it just, I just, it was like another level. It was like a, a multimedia experience that I didn't think was possible with board games. And I thought, right, well, that's good. And it kind of sat in my mind. And I played, I've played other games since. Like I've I've had um an obsession with playing Risk Godstorm that was one of the one of my entry drugs into the super thematic board game world I guess mm-hmm. prior to that there was all sorts of different things and um it just kind of like sunk in from there really and I've ended up just having this fascination with solo board gaming ever since and yeah I thought I wanted it would merge the three things together that I love the most which is cyberpunk love the cyberpunk subgenre. solo play on, on board games love that and i really really enjoy pixel art so i thought i'd bring the three together
2: wow wow what a story that was that was really interesting and a lot to unpack there for sure uh, it's nice nice to hear you're a fellow lovey <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's oh my god uh what an what an exciting journey into it and you're talking about the lord of the rings game there is that the legacy card game yeah that's correct yeah mm. yeah yeah i i also
0: love that one i think it's uh absolutely
2: fantastic and we've mentioned it a few times on the show i mean immediately
0: i uh, so i've i used to live in oxford as well oh, um so my immediate uh response was like oh have you been to fussy meeples oh have you been to the uh Gameskeeper? oh have you been to all these amazing shops that oxford has that sells Oh, these-
1: oxford is fantastic for i used to live on the cowley road on princes street right by the which i think is the Gameskeeper. there I it think. is yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. um I went in there one day and asked asked the, the chap. I was like, "I want your most highly thematic, most intense board game you've possibly got available." And he just sort of like looked up at me. He was like this old this old crone of a man. He was like, "The game with which you want to play is Twilight Imperium." <laughs> wow! <laughs> he got, it off, got it off the shelf and like blew this dust off it, and I was like, "Wow! A board, a board game for a hundred pounds." I was like, mum.
2: <laughs> did, you, did you end up giving it a go?
1: Yeah, I actually bought it right there and then because and nice. I'd only just got my student loan in and I didn't eat for about a week and a half, I think. But <laughs> I played a lot of Twilight Imperium.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Again, oh, isn't it? So good. So yeah. good. But go, going back to, you mentioned your love for the cyberpunk universe. I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack the inspirations or the, the style of cyberpunk that you're going for with the Civitas universe just to put our listeners into the picture with you James uh, yeah
1: sure so um cyberpunk is is um, the subgenre that was created by William Gibson the guy that wrote burning Chrome and necromancer he had this whole idea of 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 giant cities and augmented human beings and this this next step in in human in 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 the human evolution where where man and machine combine and where the internet is on is literally just on acid around the world just just it's spread into everything it's gone into into human tissue it's it's controlling a lot of things and um the 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 cyberpunk is is sort of like a. Like, if you were to get technology and to get, like, the sort of subculture of tattoo, of dance music, of, like, strong techno, that kind of stuff, and you were to kind of, like, turn the volume right up, you end up with, like, an ultra-commercial... Weird tapestry of just neon and everything that's just rad with the world, and I just think it's just it's just wicked. It's Blade Runner, right? It's Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's um, Minority Report. I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. I really love mm. the, the the writings of Philip K. Dick. Yes, he's he's written. Obviously, he wrote *Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep*, which became *Blade Runner*. And my favorite book, which I implore everyone to read, which is *The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch*. Which is a little bit cyberpunk, but a little bit more sci-fi. But it's it's fantastic. But the the cyberpunk aspect of it all, like the the anime, like Akira and Ghost in the Shell, really really come close to that kind of like machine takes over, but also there's like a weird existential crisis at play. And mm. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I don't know how many times you've played Civitas Nihilium, but there are there are a, um, a bunch of guys in the game called Gleeheads who think they're in a game and they're, they're starting to say like we actually hang on a minute we're in this we see we see the godhead we can see you pulling us out of the box and flipping us and pressing us down on the table we know that that, you, that they're having these crazy hallucinations so the idea is that civitas nihilium is actually a, a real dimension it's actually real and it's a, it's the creativity is creating it I've always played with the idea that maybe Star Wars is real and like maybe George Lucas is just like a a um, a caveat for this like world and he's like linking into it. I mean you can tell you're probably going to think I'm absolutely nuts saying that sort of stuff but I just I just love the idea of people inside a game having an existential crisis like the Truman show, you know that kind of thing.
2: Yes.
0: Yes, that's that's fantastic. That's
2: fantastic. Yeah, I mean that that does definitely really come across in the theme and in all every single kind of card and interaction in Nehelium, in, in you can tell that there is just so much depth in, in, your, in your concept of the world. Like you, you, you clearly, ha- it's not surface level. You know, you could spend hours luxuriating in each card and, and really yeah. build up a, a, an image of the world. And then that then follows on to the text adventure game where it opens up another level, doesn't it? And, and you, you actually take on the role in that of a specific individual. And kind of explore different paths within that game, and it's it's, it's a massive law dump, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a story generator, Civitas nihilium. Really, I think that um, another another passion of mine is role playing games. I love a thousand year old vampire. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the one of the greatest games ever made, and and I've managed to get hold of a copy. Um, I think one of the one of the chaps in your Discord actually has has a bit of an obsession with it as well, and it's a it's excellent. And um, I mean, just the other day, I was playing a samurai warrior on the banks of on the banks of a of a river, observing the death of my enemies whilst they were doing the um, the ritual by disembowelment and being kicked into the water by their wives. And then I, became, wow. I got bitten by. Yes, yeah, crazy. I got bitten by a, a ninja that was a vampire. And then I then I ended up becoming a um, um, traveling to San Francisco and becoming an engineer for the war machine of the Union during this, the American Civil War. I was just like, I mean, for story generating, that is just fabulous, right? Mm. And I don't think I'll ever get that close. But um, but Civitas Nihilium definitely. If if you if you're into creating deep stories and you want to play a game that that reveals itself over time, it's hard as hell to to, to play. That does that does harm you because the, the the wins are always so much greater when the, when the risk is so much higher, I think. And mm. um, if you can play it with that kind of attitude with a, with a look to try and create an, an actual, an actual storyline, like maybe if you die, you then decide to like promote the rookie or do something else with it. You can, you can shape the game to your pleasing really, because there's so many cards, there's so many dice, there's so much to do with it. And that the rules really are kind of set, loosely in stone, really. And the more that the players have that um that backed it on Kickstarter have started to realise that, the more that they've started to come up with their own versions of 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 um the game and have interpreted it differently, which I think is absolutely fantastic and I really I really encourage it. So it's um it's been a journey in itself. It's just it's so uh, it's so much fun.
2: Yeah, it, it does feel like it it's a sort of game that I think uh both of us have really only scratched the surface with even, you know, in the time we've had it. And um uh, the first time I played it, I kind of—I think—I had the wrong mindset going in because I tried to blitz it in a in a quick session. But it's a sort of game that could very easily stay out on the table for multiple kind of <laughs> yeah. days because it, it, it can. I kept drawing um, a card from the encounter deck that that meant I had to start a sort of side quest to the main quest. Yes. I can't remember the name of the card, and it kept coming back up and back up, and it felt like I was in this infinite loop of following this these these sort of. Weird. That's
1: that's cyberpunk for you.
2: Exactly, this is <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. So, so it's incredibly immersive, but in terms of uh, time time commitment as uh, as a game experience, you you definitely have to approach it with a very different attitude to how you would approach most modern games, and that I think goes beyond just uh, pacing and your sort of success failure criteria which you hinted at just now sure and i think we'll definitely circle back to that but i think it's also mainly to do with and this really hits to to, to your point there, is that you the civitas nihilium for, for me it seems like a game that really embraces chaos right uh, it, it plays a lot like the sort of retro board games like uh, i'm thinking of escape from the castle and things like that where the fate of your heroes are very much determined by the flip of the next card and yeah. you don't see that level of anarchy <laughs> and chaos in yeah. uh, in modern games it's something that's kind of smoothed down and 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 people uh, there's a much more in, in kind of the zeitgeist i guess of of board games nowadays to kind of shift that away from randomness and, and into the into the player a little bit more
1: yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a funny one isn't it because it's, mm. it's the question of do you want to play a game that simulates a world and do you want to be a caveat within the theme of that world or do you mm-hmm. want to just play a numbers game and if if your numbers game doesn't work out play a different numbers game next time and then maybe that will help and then that's kind of it yeah it's it's, it's funny because we do the, the reviews have been completely split down the middle for the for the game completely because a lot of people don't. That's not, it's not for them. That kind of they want to play a game where they where they feel very much in control and they can they can make decisions and it has outcomes and that's the way it goes and that's that's totally totally fine by me. I I I I know players that can't play risk because they just can't handle the fact that there's risk involved. <laughs> 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 they just don't want to do that. And I mean, okay that's totally fine but when you think about history and you think about it took 300 spartans to kill 9000 persians or whatever these things happen chaos occurs throughout time and we've got so many different stories that we can conjure up that we can create and and i feel that the best experiences always come from being in a state of constant vulnerability and i think that if you feel like oh god i better make a i better take an upgrade now oh my goodness okay well What have I got available? I've only got this. Oh, sugar, should I take this? Should I not? Should I? Oh my good! You know that that feeling of anxiety is—I think—is visceral, and I think it's important to have that when you're playing a solo player game. Or else, what's the point? You might as well just sit at the table, unpack it all, and say, "I've won," and (laughs) not play it.
0: It's very interesting. Our last episode, we spent a very long time talking about different types of randomness in, in games yeah. and I think the, the, the games that are uh, on the, the sort of hotness on BGG at the moment all tend to be either medium to heavy Euro games or um, medium to heavy hybrid games and um, it's, almost, it's almost not fashionable anymore to, to, to be a, a genuine, immersive, chaotic, output random engine. Which Civitas is. And that's one thing that I found personally just really refreshing and also a really nice connect to its medium. As you said in your example, Scruffy, that idea of being stuck in a loop. And James, you quite rightly said that's cyberpunk. You know, it is a dangerous setting. It isn't friendly. This game, you know, it's not, it's not you're not you're not here to have a nice time <laughs> you know you're, <laughs> you're,
2: it doesn't play by the rules that you understand board games to play
0: by yeah your your character is going to have a tough time and i like that you mentioned you like role playing games i know james we, we've spoken about this we're both big fans of Shadowrun, which is a, a cyberpunk role playing game oh
1: yeah love Shadowrun. love it
0: and uh it, it shares it shares the same kind of uh, feeling is as, as, as even, even older, like something like Cyberpunk. Is it twenty seventy seven? The yes. the role playing game. Yeah, I mean, all of them share this the same feeling uh, of of peril, of real peril. And I think the uh, level of randomness in civitas adds to that feeling of peril and danger. And this is a sharp world with sharp edges, and it's interesting. And it's like you said, James. It allows you to gives the player agency in a different way. It gives players agency over how they're going to experience a story. Like you said, do you want to play as a rookie next time? Who's sort of avenging the you know the loss of of your first character? Do you want to? It kind of yeah. It's 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 a storytelling machine, and I think that's a really nice way to put it, James. I think it's important to say it uh, as as well and be, and be be honest about that because, like you said, that's not going to be for everyone but
1: no definitely not
0: yeah i think that was really interesting and perfectly fitting with its 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 setting in my opinion yes
1: yeah i think that it's we've played a lot on twitch with a lot of the backers and stuff and um you can check out our twitch channel we've not we've not been twitching recently i say twitching we've not been twitching i've been twitching we've not been (laughs) twitch streaming recently but that's a shame we need to be doing a little bit more of that but um the randomness can be counted if you get a really good combination between your main character and your rookie. So, if you combine, say, the one that can do heals in between trials, and then you get one that can spend wounds to increase dice rolls, you can have the rookie healing the main character in between trials all the way through. So, the rookie is like a med, is like a medic, and and it just it just helps you to bump up your score and at the same time get your health back when you when you release yourself of some of some HP so there, there are there are ways of there are tricks within the game to kind of to kind of get around that but you're not going to be able to to sort of reveal it unless you play it loads because you'll suddenly realize oh my gosh' there's, there's I need to focus on locations because the locations are a lot less deadly than than dealing with witnesses I can force encounters if I want to there's all sorts of different Different tactics that that you can do that that can actually minimise the randomness, if you wish. It's just it's just to sort of practice the game a little bit more and get your head around that sort of aspect of it. I think.
2: I think um, this is probably something we should have outlined before we started this uh, <laughs> down this rabbit hole. But in typical always player one style, we are doing things a bit out of order. Nice. So we should probably unpack quickly what the main random elements are in the game for people listening who who haven't played it. So from from my experience, the sort of most common thing was the encounter deck. And the way this happens is that during your turn, you have a set of cards in front of you, kind of almost your hand of cards, that is what your potential trials that you can face. Some of them will have requirements that require your characters to have certain resources to be able to even attempt the encounter. And like I said in the description, you have to roll on those cards to potentially succeed or fail at gaining evidence, gaining more resources to take on more trials. But there, if you ever reach a point where you can't encounter the next location or witness or whatever card is in your investigation timeline there or your hand, then you have to draw an encounter card, and that for me, is the real point of the game because it, it can lead to these kind of like we like I, like I ended up before, these kind of infinite loops of <laughs> disaster, but also they can lead to really fortuitous cards and so that that is kind of the main point of randomness I noticed. And Because some of those cards are particularly volatile as well. For example, making you roll your resource dice. You you track your resources with dice, and you you might have to roll them all and just end up with a random, either good or bad load of resources, which is a nice kind of uh, balance breaker there for if you're doing really well, it can be crippling. But if you're struggling to get anywhere, it can be extremely useful to hit that card.
0: builds that anxiety that James was talking about earlier.
1: Yes.
2: Yes. Are there any other sort of moments in the game that i'm missing there or would you say that's the, the main um,
1: there, there are there are points where upgrades don't work if you roll a one on a particular upgrade it could heat up and burn your arms off yeah so the upgrades yeah um there's stuff like that it's um it's it's brutal in a way that i think um the game nemesis can be quite brutal and i, I don't know if you guys know the game nemesis at all but that's yeah. very 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 hardcore and again a story generator exactly the same sort of premise mm. but uh, mm. but it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the encounter deck is, a, is an interesting one. I've, I've, I, I always look forward to getting the cards that make me roll my resources and stuff because I like the idea of having to re, realign and reassess the situation that I'm in I'm, I'm, because I tend to try and build as many cards as possible. I, go, I pick trials on cards that, that bring in more cards into the timeline, so I have a longer timeline ahead of me just, just in case mm. I, I hit a situation where i can't qualify to go to a location or i can't qualify to speak to a witness because i don't have enough reputation and if that happens sometimes i force it to happen because i'm really low on resources and i want to get more resources so an encounter card could help with that especially if you're rolling randomly again or not or it's it's all it's all kind of tricky but i tend i mean it's funny isn't it because when you design the game you know the loop you know you know the way through it all and like it's uh I feel like I win more than I lose playing the game and I feel like mm. the, the backers when we when we twitch stream they tend to win more than they lose which is which is kind of cool mm. but I think the other day we have been doing um, we have been doing some runthroughs we're trying to do the game four years in the future to see where the rookies have, have gotten to and myself and the backers from Kickstarter are all, all getting together on our discord and we're playing games over over a period of time where, We're seeing what happens to the rookie at the end of the game. And if the rookie is like super like maxed out to the maximum, really highly upgraded or whatever, we're preserving that rookie from that player's game and putting it into the next game four years in the future. So they get that rookie has its own card. So if it has like a mechanical hand or if it's got something else or if it has like super reputation, that will then be like a main character in the next game, which I think is quite cool.
0: That's amazing. That brings up a couple of things I wanted to to, to unpack. I want to circle back to the, the Civitas universe as as a whole in, in a sure. moment because we've mentioned that it's a, a multi sort of platform uh, project yes. um, that, that that you're that you're running at the moment, but. Um, one thing I wanted to, to sort of bring up is there is a, a great community around this game. It's uh, it's evident. i we're on your Discord. It's, it's evident there. It's evident in the in the rulebook. I was looking at the uh, you know instructions on the uh, video, the text based video game and there's uh pictures from like a, a backers day where, where the backers got together and, and meet is that is that yeah right?
1: we, we all came together at pinewood studios um came came to have a have a look at my offices and stuff and just have a little walk around Show, sneaked onto the james bond set don't tell anybody that we sneaked on, <laughs> sneaked <laughs> on there they, and uh, we took a very sneaky photograph which we're not allowed to take but we did and um i put put it in the game manual for the mysteries of profundum but yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned the um the, the connected aspect of the games though because I think it's important to note that that the idea for Civitas for the Civitas universe is to have a ten year period inside a, a world communicated to us through a series of games. So it starts mm-hmm. in twenty two twenty five with Civitas Nihilium where these cities, these great Civitases are all in competition with each other. It's the next it's the next civilization. From us, so it's the idea that there are no more nations; it's all cities, and they're all private enterprises, all battling out for for population and for um, citizenship fees and all that sort of stuff. These patriots that they're called in the world. Th- there's lots of different factions that that come about during the game, and, and in the first game, Civitas nihilum, you see these factions, and then one particular faction, the Draconic Brotherhood, is a cult, and they're leaving Civitas Nihilium to form their other their own Civitas called Civitas Theodore. And the, the game, The Mysteries of Profundum, the text adventure that I've just, just released, literally sent out to a backers on like last month, I think it was a month before last. It picks up four years after the events of Civitas Nihilium, where the Draconic Brotherhood have come back to Civitas Nihilium to collect information on the streets so they can better equip themselves for their future migration. And it, it's really interesting because the people that are in the game you get to meet that have that been in the game previously. And those people in the game previously are all named after the bit, the backers from the first Kickstarter. Yeah. So all the backers from the first Kickstarter are getting to see how their characters have evolved, and they've named locations, and so they all get to see how their location, locations have evolved. Some backers were bitterly disappointed when they found out that their bar was a, a, burning, <laughs> a burning shell. But, wow. you know, that's, that's what happens. And then and then we're going to we're going to be going from there to a um a Civit- like we're zooming out so we've zoomed we've zoomed in now we're zooming out to a city builder which will have its own solo mode so a, a cyberpunk city builder which will be civitas 2230. that's the, the the next game after this i think
0: and that is a board game as as well that's a board game yeah that's a board game
1: yeah okay and then and then um also uh, i'd like to do a very cheap a, a sort of very cheap a very cost effective version of civitas nihilian called Civitas Nihilium, The Days of Decay, which is like an in, in a tin version of Civitas Nihilium. So it's going to be a lot less, a lot less more expensive and a lot more cost effective. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to target around the £25 mark, something like that, but have a similar amount of cards and have that kind of fun. But again, that would be that would be taking place during the, the, the time of the Mysteries of Profundum. So when you play the text adventure and you see things happen like buildings get destroyed and crimes committed the detectives come in after those crimes have happened and that's the things that you see when you're playing this next game
2: does that wow. make sense yeah so that's going to be a game in the similar sort of style as civitas and helium yes in the kind of yeah. uh, crime investigation timeline yeah thing are there any other changes that are going to be in that one Um,
1: yeah there will be there'll be there'll there'll be less the encounters are going to be a hell of a lot less harsh it's going to also open up for um two-player mode as well so Mm -hmm. you'll have one player playing in the future another player playing in the past and you send resources to the player in the in the past it's kind of like anachrony um that mechanic in anachrony where you where you have to send things back or or suffer paradoxes if you don't make good on your mm. on your time thingies. I love that. I love that mechanic. Yes. I think it's so <laughs> clever, and I'm I'm totally stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you couldn't have started a better mechanic. That, uh, the more games need to play with time travel. For Honestly, sure.
1: it's wicked, isn't it? Isn't it good time yeah. stories yeah. and anachrony? Oh my god, <laughs> give it to me. So good.
2: I really want to just go back to what you were saying there uh, about the characters reappearing and things because. I don't know if you've come across the concept in the drama circles before of uh, ghosting. Yes. In, in your In your studies, that, yeah. that's what it made me think of. When, I, especially when I started playing the text adventure, and uh, for anyone who's not familiar, ghosting is kind of boiled down. It's essentially, you know. That feeling you get when you see an actor you recognize in something from something else—you <laughs> see the, <laughs> the, the uh, actor who played whoever appear in, in a new thing—and and, and, and that kind of familiarity you have with them and their previous character—and the, that that being a, in drama is a, is a kind of tool that you can use to either subvert or just have as a kind of a free template almost. Yeah, So definitely. You, use, you use that guy that everyone likes, you know, because you want them to like this character. Yeah,
1: definitely.
2: In Civitas, I feel like it's something I, I, I'm only just on the first sort of step of experiencing at the moment because I've only played it a little bit, but I would see names crop up that were big, important players in my game on the board game, and I'd go... I know that guy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> or, exactly. Or, yeah. or oh, not that guy. He um he kept crashing into me. He kept running running me over in my in my game. I don't trust him.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I just thought that was a really interesting tool that you brought in there. I was wondering if that was a consideration at all for you. Oh, Oh, one hundred
1: percent. I think that it's. I think it's really important to have characters that develop. And have characters that, that players have a have an interaction with I, I like the idea of a player being on a journey mm-hmm. through something that they don't necessarily have full control over and to go into that world like kind of like a god but not quite a god you're you're kind of you start to see them as your subjects a little bit i think mm. i feel like that especially if you're manipulating decisions of individuals
2: that's really interesting
1: i think it's important that's to suddenly see people come up and you're like oh that that person that that person's got a problem with xyz i wonder if that still exists oh wow they're in, they're now addicted to a drug crikey <laughs> yeah it's so it's a journey right
2: mm. yeah and it's, it's almost it almost hits on parallel universes in a weird sort of way doesn't it yes
1: it does definitely
2: especially with the board game and trying playing as different rookies or different rookie and main character you'll be you'll be seeing a a different set of crimes unfold and maybe they're in the same universe the same thing that's happening alongside your previous game or maybe it's a different civitas nihilium and you can you're kind of free to create that sort of timeline in your own brain and 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 kind of manipulate it beyond just the original story of the first play session
1: definitely definitely that that kind of kind of raises the um envelope i guess of Sort of talking to you guys about about where the audience came from for Civitas Nihilium, the initial Kickstarter audience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is something that something that I don't tell many people about, and and I kind of try to keep it uh, secret because it's important that that I do. But it's it's been going on for nearly four, actually nearly five years now. I think when I started um, my business, Lift Off Global Network, I created my my business partner and I created a a screenplay for a film called Mushroom, which was about demigods that had discovered a mushroom off the coast of of Iceland on on an island called Surtsey. We were trying to get funding to get the film made, and I don't know if you know much about film funding. You probably do. It's impossible to get film funding, even if you've got a great script, even if you've got people attached, all that sort of stuff. It's It's just a nightmare. But we had all this development, all these characters, all these things ready to go, um, we had three different dimensions in the in in the film. We had one dimension where the mushroom had arrived on Earth and it was it was entering the the techno scene and it was entering like the hedonistic sort of side of things. Um, it was then it was then going into another world where it was um, claimed by a pharmaceutical company, an evil pharmaceutical company, were using it to try and distribute it into the population without anybody knowing anything about it. And um, because the film started hitting hitting a sort of stall in it, I had the idea that we could create something called an ARG, which is an alternative reality game where we created a fake website and pretended to be the pharmaceutical company and um, asked the people to join um, drug trials to become to become part of the drug trial. Now the idea was that we would then present to a to an investor um, our, our guaranteed audience. We did this but we ended up at one stage we had over 250 players playing this alternative reality game. We, we left a floppy disk with a with a cipher. Written on it um, on in a back street in Tokyo um, in, wow. Shib- in Shibuya, Q, and they they found it. They, it was a geocache, and they, fa- they found it by following a series of clues, and they discovered it. And um, when they discovered it, one of the characters got sucked into a dimensional portal and ended up in the Civitas universe. Huh. And that, that's incredible. And that that's that's the character Theo, one of the members of the brother of the Brotherhood of the Draconic Brotherhood.
2: Ah, and he's encased in light. Isn't he's encased he, in, in
1: the- there. Yeah. Now they're trying to get players from the players are trying have now shifted themselves whilst they've been playing the game they've shifted into another dimension where mushroom the film no longer exists and the civitas universe series of games exists Mm -hmm. so i i came to this i came to kickstarter with 150 players ready to to back civitas Nihilian, and that's the reason why it became it became successful quite quickly i think and it and it's one of the reasons why there's a lot of stuff going on in there that doesn't doesn't really make too much sense. But if you wanted to jump down the rabbit hole, just te- check out Mushroom ARG wiki and you can go there and have a look at all the stuff that's happened. We've left disks in New York, um, in um, California. We actually left an Ethereum coin on a, on a, on a floppy disk in in. in <laughs> In, in um, Elephant Hill in Los Angeles, and these players played this game, and they they found the disc and got the coin and made six hundred dollars. Annoyingly, <laughs> they sold their coins, which is annoying because if they <laughs> had them, they'd be worth quite a bit now. But, um, but, but yeah, that, that's why the, that's why the, the the currency in Civitas My is ether. It's Ethereum. Uh,
2: wow, I can't believe. We came here thinking we'd be talking about two games, and that you have a few more lined up. But there's also one before a secret one that no, yeah, the Mushroom
1: ARG, yeah, wow. And it's, it's it's if you look up Cacadia three three, I think it's Cacadia something or Cacadia. I we can't pronounce it properly, but it's a it was an ARG that was that was ran for a few years. It sent sent a bunch of kids to a to a lamppost in Berlin to solve to solve a clue. They solved it, and they all went missing for a week. And then came back with brand new like haircuts and like new clothes and like everyone thought they'd been recruited by the CIA, by the CIA which they think they <laughs> might have done. So there's all sorts wow. of weird and wonderful ARGs out there. And ours was um, a labor of love for many, many years. And, mm. and because the film couldn't get made, we had to do something else. So the Civitas universe was created off the back of that. Let's just, just take a step
0: back for a second. For, sure. listeners, for listeners who are struggling to follow along at the moment. ARG what, what is an ARG explain this just for it's for an that. alternative
1: an alternative reality game so you may get telephone calls emails you might receive a text message off of characters so that that exists within the game asking you to do things telling you to go to places and you are part of a wider network of other players that are all playing at the same time and your 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 first job is to find the other people that are playing the game um that's easily done on the internet especially if you drop a youtube video with a, with a, with a hidden message in it or something like that they come together they they form a discord channel and then they start the process of deciphering the clues that we leave out and leave behind to try and get the player more and more and more immersed into the storyline of the actual of the actual world that we're presenting so yeah alternative reality games the film the game is a really good a really good um reference i think
0: interesting that's that's so fascinating that's kind of that's kind of blown my mind a little bit i don't really well, know how to, <laughs> i don't really know i don't even know how to respond to that but that's this is, wild
1: this is, this is what happens when a, a mad actor slash film producer <laughs> decides he wants to build a board game either. yeah it gets meta <laughs> it gets a little bit enthusiastic about messing stuff up it's kind of it's, it's been it's been a it's been an absolute joy. And I love, I love every single one of the players that have played it. There's a really good bunch of guys that, that play it. And they're, they're just such a, they're such a good bunch and the doors always open for more players. And if, yeah. So whilst, whilst we're talking about this, do you have a discord community? Don't you? At the we do, yes, we do have a discord community for the Civitas universe. Yep. And that's, um I guess we'll give you guys the link for the show notes. Yeah. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Links, are yeah links are in the description now. In the description, <laughs> yep,
1: wonderful. And um, yeah, it's, we're only doing we're only ever going to be releasing Civitas Universe games via Kickstarter campaigns just because I want to make sure that they're successful so I don't want to dilute the opportunity of doing it I try to make the the pledge target I try to make it as as little as possible so it gets realized and the only way to really do that is to encourage people to to, to back it so when we do launch kickstarters I'm going to be including Copies of Civitas, nihilium, copies of the Mysteries of Profundum, and copies of the next game that we're launching the Kickstarter for. So there's always going to be an opportunity to, to jump straight in at the beginning if you wish.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it's not re- required. You can play the text-based adventure yeah. without playing the board game. 100%. But, but from playing the two, there is a kind of grander experience at play. Yeah, yeah. That sort of idea is, is very well recognized at the moment you don't have to go too far into popular culture to see that happening like in the mcu right is a really good example like you could go see thor 2 in the cinema on its own having not seen any others and it makes sense right but you're going to have a wider appreciation if you've seen the twenty thousand other films that they've <laughs> yeah. out. and and i think civitas nails that as well and i think you know it's it's something that I think a lot of gamers are gravitating towards, you see a lot of games set in the same universe, you know, Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, where there's these kind of reoccurring characters. People want to invest in that kind of real world. They want to see real stories. And I think having that intertextuality, that kind of continuity that's really important in Civitas is, um, yeah, super popular at the moment. And even on a micro level, with things like legacy games, you know the success yeah. of you know pandemic legacy. The idea that what you've done in the previous game is going to affect you know your next play. Uh, Civitas doesn't do that on a sort of micro level, but on a macro, you have this kind of whole experience at, at your fingertips. Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. I, I thought long and hard about that about that point what you just raised there, Norm. About the about the legacy aspect of it, which. When you when you complete the mysteries of profundum, it gives you a calculation on your setup for the next game, um, how much resources you should have and how what you should be doing. So if you want to take the experience onto the next bit, you can. That was my kind of way of trying to teeter onto the legacy part, but I think it's good to kind of have it in the theater of the mind as well, so you know who the president is now. You know who that because that's changed and you know who the. but it's only changed in your game, so You're taking it with you in, a, in an imagination part of it. They always say, like when you're writing scripts and stuff, never to include the sex scene, because we've all got a we've all got a better idea of how the characters get it on than what the director or the actors might have. So just leave it to the imagination of the people that are watching and they can they can form a better a better scenario for it like oh he's been in the he's been down there because that's happened or these guys are attacking us because of this or however you want to you want to build it
0: so just to clarify when you say for your neck for the next game you're referring to the next board game the city builder which isn't even out yet that's what you're yeah. referring yeah, to I'm referring
1: to that yeah i've got a prototype of the city builder on tabletopia that i'm working on at the moment and i've got a got a good idea as to how the resources and and how the, gem- the general um setup is going to work the idea is that you have one player playing with a massive city already set up, Civitas Nihilium, and all the other players are playing as presidents of smaller cities. And Civitas Nihilium is in its days of decay; people are leaving, and all this sort of stuff. So that player has to try and stop that from happening, whilst the other players are all fighting for the ones that are leaving. So that the way that you, how you set up your your game, could be based on either the setup parameters in the manual. All the setup parameters that are revealed to you when you've completed the Mysteries of Profundum, based on the resources and the things that you got from 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 that game.
2: How interesting, because it's you're moving then from two games that were solo experiences, and I just wanted to hit on quickly before I, I make this point that you, you're talking about the legacy aspect being entirely almost in the mind of the of the of the viewer. The legacy isn't the game state changing, isn't it, but it is your interpretation of the events and the characters and your knowledge of the events and the world around you that changes you as the audience to, uh, to the gaming experience change. It's, it does feel very drama y in, in, in that sense.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and when and then when you invite players to come and play the game at your house or the game with you online they're they're entering your universe and you can right. and, and you can, you can go and play in somebody else's. So mm. in so, in your civitas universe, Scruffy, your Civitas universe might be someone completely different as the president. Um the, the the situation in Civitas Nihilium is now petered out and everything's okay. And the player playing that might have a completely different experience to the to you coming over to mine and playing in my Civitas universe. So the idea is for that is for it to be completely different every time for it to just split as soon as a different god a different player gets involved the the entire the entire paradigm the entire the entire experience is is totally totally different but tailored towards the vision of the player that's 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 kind of leading the experience which is why the emphasis is so strongly on the solo player aspect because the solo player is the one that does the invitation.
2: I would be really interested to see if, I mean, that, that sounds fascinating in itself, but in terms of just for, for my own logistics and obviously for for us as uh, solo board gamers, I'd be very interested to see if the new game is adaptable to having an AI as well. That would be... Yes, you know, that's the challenge. Yeah, <laughs> but th- we'll park that for now, yeah.
1: So I, do, I, I'm, I feel like Civitas Nihilion will be, the city that does its own thing and it's it's self-running and you you choose which civitas to go to go up against with it I guess and just see Mm. how it goes with that that would be the best that would be the best thing I think but I love that I love that like that idea of there being this like maniacal beast that's just wounded that you're that you're kind of sucking blood from it's a very interesting idea and kind of yeah for sure yeah. So,
2: so just returning quickly to stuff that's out, I did want to touch on the soundtrack. Yes. Um, we, we mentioned before that you... Uh... That you've created to go along with the game, and it enhances the experience
1: of the game for you. How did that come about? Um, so I'm 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 really into retro computing. I love I love old computers. Um, I, I hence the reason why the text adventure looks like it was built on a um, a C64. It's uh, on a Commodore 64, like an eight bit mm-hmm. style. Hence the reason why the the game the games are all pixel art as well. The printed games are pixel art. I,
2: Gorgeous art.
1: I love that. I, yeah, thank you. I, I absolutely love that style. I love that the retro sort of feel. And um, I love chip tunes. I love synthwave. I love vaporwave. I love the kind of the things that go hand in hand with the cyberpunk experience. And I wanted to create a soundtrack that would have a a voice acted tapestry that kind of took you through a, an introductory journey to the to the world, but at the same time gave you focus and also got you into like the the sort of the mood. Just just to try my hardest to emulate the same feeling that I had sat playing lord of the rings you know with the with the mm. soundtrack on just that moment where like the, the music for the shires playing, and i'm at the beginning of my game it's like <laughs> i just you know it just it just fits so well it's just so good And i i tried i tried in my absolute novice way to kind of try and get something like that going and i think i succeeded to a certain degree and i'm, I'm very pleased with it but it's um like i said it was a absolute pain in the backside to 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 get right there was points where i got it mastered in the, and the, the sound was on one speaker and then it moves over to another and it was wasn't right and then it was it was the boom and fade was everywhere and everything was just so wrong and that was so stressful but got there in the end and very pleased with it and uh yeah like i said that's where the value in the game is really because it's where i spent all my money
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay james so i think we're, we're winding down towards the end of the show but before we dive into looking at the responses we got from last episode why don't you share the sort of development roadmap and what's out already for the Civitas universe and what's coming out in the future? So we, we've we already spoken about the the board game, which is out, the Civitas Nihilium. You've spoken about the Mysteries of uh, Profundum, the text based Adventure video game. We know that there's a city builder coming up as well, which is another
1: board game. Yep, that's a board game, Civitas 2230. Is there anything
0: after that? What's what, what else is coming?
1: Yes, so I'm going to be once all of that content is created, we're teetering on the idea of creating a, a more cost-effective version of Civitas Nihilium, which is called Civitas Nahelium, The Days of Decay. That's going to be possibly a smaller, smaller in card number, certainly on the witnesses side, but um, <laughs> a little bit more of a yeah, a little bit more of a. Um, of an easier setup, a quicker a quicker go-to, a more cost-effective version of the game itself. Um, after all of that, the big, big plan is to create an RPG. Ooh. That's the aim. And if I can get it anywhere, anywhere near as good as Shadowrun or the Cyberpunk Red or anything like that, I will be very, very pleased. I really, really, really love the solo mechanic of the mythic GM emulator. I love it loads.
2: Oh my God! Have you tried Ironsworn? Oh, of course!
1: Oh my God! I've got Ironsworn. I'm looking at Ironsworn right now. I love, love it. It's excellent. So good, isn't it's it? Excellent. So so, I mean, <laughs> that, if you like Ironsworn, I implore you to try um, a thousand-year-old vampire. It's wonderful as well. If I can get the Civitas, if I can get a solo player RPG experience of Ironsworn and and the thousand-year vampire, thousand-year-old vampire combined, I'll be so pleased. And I think that with, that's. That's the aim, really. And whilst I'm tr- whilst I'm building the next things, I'm I'm adding all this extra content because I know that content is paramount with RPG. You need, you really do.
0: Well, if you succeed in that ambition, James, uh, we'll probably have you back on to talk about it again.
1: <laughs> Yay! I would love to come back sure. on. You guys rock. Thank you so much. Oh, well, it's, it's been
0: awesome having you on. I mean, you're an absolute treat to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> excellent um so brilliant so so a soloable rpg is the is the is the end goal and i think that's so yeah. cool coming at the end once you've built up all this understanding of the world and the law etc you've already got all this i think sean tomkin when we had him on the show he called it grist for the mill to yes. start The start stories you know i think that's awesome Okay, then. So um, let's, we've reached that point in the show where we move on to the uh, responses we got from the last episode. But before we do that, let's reveal the question for this episode. So, Scruffy, what's the question for today's episode? So, the question this
2: episode is How highly do you rate storytelling in your solo board gaming experience? So, we're mainly focusing on board games, not RPGs here. And we want to know where storytelling comes in in terms of importance for you when you're playing. And does a good story override any dissatisfaction with the game in other aspects? For example, is it okay to lose player choice if you end up having a wicked story moment that comes out of that loss of agency?
0: And is it any different when you're playing multiplayer? Is your solo preference different? I know mine is very different. You know, my favorite solo game is Mage Knight. And oh. my favorite multiplayer game is 1830, which is about trains, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so my my preferences are, are, you know, they're both obviously heavy games, but in terms of theme and and, and story... Very different and i 'm wondering if that's the same with you guys Is, is, is it more important in a solo experience, or is it less less important this, uh, yeah um, you can as always contact us through all the normal, uh, all the normal streams which I'll come on to at the end of the show but uh, yes, just quickly before we
2: move on from that, just don't be afraid i mean that's a pretty big and hefty question don 't be afraid to just say i don 't care about story you know i 'd be happy to hear that like i 'm only interested when I play board games in this side of gaming. gaming. that's interesting to hear as well so a uh, bit of a bit of a long question there but happy for you to respond on whatever level you're comfortable
0: responding on okay so let's check out the responses we got from the last episode so during the last episode we asked you can you name an example of random elements in games that you've liked and disliked so why did one work and the other not so we had a first response from Pickles, and Pickles says good random can be dramatic endings to games that you do not get in the ones where, for example, you just build an overwhelming force and then win. For example, in Gloomhaven, needing to flip a plus one and then you get a null. Or War Machine needing to needing double six, followed by 15 on three dice legends of drizzle coming down to win or lose die roll lord of the rings lcg escaped from Dol Guldur with massive effort um they managed to kill nazgul on 49 threat but next turn they had to reshuffle and flip the nazgul which says you cannot win while the nazgul was in play i could not kill it and my threat increased to 50 so i lost or Spirit Island, so these are dimensionably more memorable than any number of games where I just took control then ground down the opposition. Bad random would be randomised start conditions that favour one or the other side. This is really bad if it's in a boring way or if you find out part way through. The most boring way is score a random number of victory points, seeing For example, several Stegmaier games. There are some scenarios in game workshops, Deadfleet, and Fantasy Flights, Imperial Assault that do this. You need a random number of victory points to win. There's a lot to unpack there, a lot to unpack. Well, yeah, that really hits on what we just asked, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, Those sort of random elements there, um, and a lot of those examples that Pickle said, it surprised me because they were kind of bad examples. There are examples, or or quote-unquote bad examples, where... Actually, the randomness meant that they lost, you know. Mm. But they're saying that that actually made the game much more exciting, and I sympathise with that a lot. I get exactly what Pickles are saying. I'm wondering what you think of that, Scruffy. I'm not sure. I mean, I I, I totally get it. Like randomness, I think
2: feels less bad when you've got that reward afterwards of having a good story to tell. I mean, it's it's the worst is if you get a loss and there's nothing to tell. Like the examples there of just a randomized setup and it's negative for you get a bad outcome, and there's no story there. Oh yeah, I, I had a really rubbish startup. That's not a story, you know. <laughs> but if you've got these these moments where you have even you know good randomness is 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 always kind of I think to some extent feels okay and good. Like there's that sort of loss aversion we talked about before, and that. That it is real game theory, isn't it? That you can get away with randomness in design a lot more if it's good. But it's only really problematic for the player when it gives you a negative outcome, and that that is mitigated to some extent by having a story then to tell if it's a dramatic moment. Right. Mm.
1: I, I, I want to chip in with that one as well. I think that it's really important to recognise that the player needs to prepare themselves for the randomness as mm. well. You need to you need to make sure that your are equipped and usually what what tends to be the case is when a designer this is what i've certainly noticed in 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 the games that i've played when a designer is incorporating an aspect of randomness they will give you opportunities to deal with that potential randomness occurring earlier on in the game it's not just suddenly here's ran- here's something random boom here it is there will be something that will ne- will enable you to kind of not fix the outcome in your favor but certainly do something that will help you to survive if if the worst was to happen
2: or just prepare yourself for it
1: prepare yeah exactly prepare yourself for it precisely and I feel like randomness needs to be earned I think it needs to be earned it needs to exist in a game for a reason you know if it doesn't if it doesn't exist for a particular thematic reason then it just it just falls flat on its face in my opinion
0: and I think it's all about the framing as well it's all about the framing I I know um Cole Worley mentioned uh the designer of Root mentioned that you know, one, one thing that he wants to do with, with Root is get players attacking each other as soon as possible so that p- players knew this is a game where we're going to have fights and we're going to have negative player interaction. And I think it's the same with randomness. If you're introduced to it halfway through the game where you've built up a big engine and then you have a swingy random moment where that is taken away from you. That will feel really terrible because it's not framed well.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not,
0: you know, expected. If you uh, go into a game and several random events happen at the start, you it almost frames the experience and okay, this is a game where the randomness is going to be impactful, and how am I going to account for that? And is is this something uh, I'm going to enjoy? Um, and I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah, and just bringing this back to Civitas nihilium, nihilium. I've been saying it right all episode, haven't I? (laughs) Just bring it back to CN. uh, For me, especially, I really had to do a a bit of a a mental readjustment to be able to engage in the with the game in in a way that I don't have I, I don't experience in most games. You know, it was it was that you have to really frame the game as being prepared for that randomness, getting yourself mentally ready to just. Get sucked down a dystopian cyberpunk
0: random hole. (laughs) There you go, James. Put that on the box. (laughs) Be prepared to get sucked down. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Scruffy gamer. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, next one. Uh, So we have a response here from Cooper, who says, I'm not opposed to randomness in games, but I think it's important that there is the possibility to influence results. I like the mechanism in Robin Crusoe where you can accept a random outcome by using the dice or avoid an additional worker and get the intended result. This, that's a great choice to make. I also think that there is a big difference for me when it comes to randomness, whether I'm playing solo or multiplayer. For instance, the random goal cards in *Haller Tau by Uwe Rosenberg, I'm, I'm not, not familiar with that title, sorry if I said it wrong, don't bother me much when I play solo. I'm happy to draw a big point card in the last round, but don't build my strategy upon that. But when I play Lisboa by Vitalisada, uh, three players, someone won by drawing the right goal card during their last turn. That left a bad taste in my mouth, especially because Lisboa is such a long game. Way back, I played Alchem Horror 2nd Edition with my partner. She hated that game so much because after five hours of playing, we lost because of a single dice throw. I think that was the worst offender when it comes to randomness. In general, the more narrative a game has, the less I'm annoyed by random elements, but I also like having some random elements in my heavy strategy games. It can add variation and excitement as long as the randomness is such that it can be planned with. A good example for me are the hunting and exploration actions in a feast for Odin. You throw dice, but you can influence the outcome to your advantage, and even if you miss, you get a small bonus. I think it adds a bit of excitement and uncertainty in an otherwise very strategic game. Wow, what a hefty response there, and it again touches on the question for this episode. So that, this will be a fun exploration of the topic to unpack further on this channel yeah and again hitting on contingencies there and having mitigation and and the prepared stuff that you were mentioning james yeah any thoughts from
0: you two on that if i can just framing it back to last episode did you notice that a lot of those examples the the dice rolling and feasts for odin the uh dice rolling in robinson crusoe were all output random events that that cooper was describing i thought that was interesting where you know, it's just—it's just, it's just one of those one of those things where you know people tend to want to justify the existence of output randomness much more than much more than input because of the way it, as Kendall said in the last episode, divorces the decision from the from the outcome. Uh, and I just—I just—a I just, little observation that I had and I thought was fascinating is all. Any anything you want to add to that response, James? I,
1: I love I love the story about the um, the couple that were playing, the, the girl got completely jaded by the idea of playing for ages and ages and ages, and then lost on a single dice roll. <laughs> I kind of crave players to have those experiences because <laughs> because I think that it's I think that it's it's life and the perils of, of of that kind of thing can really expose what's the word? I guess the enthusiasm or the commitment. I mean, if I am playing a game where I think, oh my god. I could die any second now. I'm like, I'm upgrading when it's my turn to upgrade. I'm spending my ether to do the things I need to do. I'm making sure that I go to the safer places first. I'm doing all the different things. I'm, I'm taking every, everything into consideration. I'm using all my special abilities. I'm not missing stuff out. I bet you that couple missed a few things out.
2: Yeah, maybe. And I think it also mainly goes to a thing of framing, that we, that yeah. we mentioned before that, that perhaps this person wasn't prepared for that outcome yeah completely at the start of the game perhaps it may have been said but you, you can still you can hear we might lose on a dice roll at the end but you might not register it because it won't happen to me and i had a very similar experience so i don't want to spoil anything for my my wretched playthrough up on youtube but i had a very similar experience going into wretched when, when i when i settled down to play it which was you know i'm special I'm going to do this. I'm really good at games. <laughs> and so to some extent, the, the, but, but that, that sort of framing there enhanced the experience for me. I think bringing it, bringing it back to more regular examples like playing a game like Civitas or even Arkham there, that you need to sit down and be prepared to know that you can invest a lot of time and energy in something and you might still lose the game your, your characters might die, but it's okay because you will be enriched
0: by the experience. Excellent. So the next response we had in was from Slasher. They have one paragraph of randomness they liked and one paragraph of randomness they disliked. Do you want to do the
2: like and I'll do the dislike since this is our last one for the, for the
0: episode? That sounds perfect. <laughs> Let's add some drama. <laughs> <laughs> so they said they liked that their group had a game of Arkham Horror 2nd Edition where they were cruising and only needed to close one more gate. One player was at an open gate and just needed to succeed by rolling a five or a six from three D6 dice. Five consecutive failures over five rounds wow. saw a snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> we still talk about it years later, when he has an important dice roll to make. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: wouldn't be talking about it if he
0: won, though, would they? Yeah, that, that's very interesting. It, they say it worked because that kind of roundness is expected going into Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. Yes. And the cooperative nature of the game meant that the misfortune was shared equally. And uh, this is, again, everything we're saying about the framing is important here. Yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, I think that... It's how funny, that that followed Cooper's response, who said it was the worst offender. It just shows you also how big a... How big a, a factor personal preferences as well?
1: Yes. Oh, it's subjective. So subjective.
2: So if they like that one, what did they dislike? So Sasha says, that one that really didn't work for them was Dice Settlers. It's a dice bag building game that shares a lot of DNA with 4X games. One of the best parts of 4X games for me is the tech tree and planning ahead. However, I found that the double hit of randomness from randomly drawing the dice, then rolling to decide which actions you could take made it hard to plan ahead. I was playing solo and attempting to pursue a research-heavy strategy, but I kept falling over at either the draw or the roll hurdles. In that case, it was the mismatch between my expectations of the level of strategy or long-term planning in a genre of game and the amount of control I actually had over my actions. Well, it does feel horrible to, to have this kind of investment in putting the dice that you can control into the bag, hoping you get them, and then, oh, phew, I finally got the dice I need, but rolling the wrong side of it.
1: Wow. Sounds to me like he needs to practice rolling dice. <laughs> <laughs> get them weighted get them <laughs> just right, yeah. yeah.
0: No, but I, I think it's really interesting that Slusher knows where the problem was. The problem was between their expectation of what mm. level of strategy was going to be involved and what the actual game itself was. Maybe if Slasher had a different expectation it would have been but you know it's, 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 again the game framed itself as a as a planning 4x type game where you can plan multiple turns ahead and it turns out that that's that's not the game it is which is yes yeah, fascinating fascinating
1: cool so any final thoughts for the episode James oh i just had a great time guys it's been it's been a real pleasure i've um i'm so pleased that you've You've given it a go, and and um, have had me on today to talk about it. I'm really, I'm really, really excited about what's in, what's in store for what's what's coming up in the universe. Really, thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for sending us a copy of the games and, and for coming yeah. on and spending your time this evening with us to talk about everything. It's been an absolute delight for me. And I'm sure it has for you
0: too, Norm. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. James, you are super fascinating. And I, I leave now with an even deeper appreciation for the Civitas universe, especially now knowing about the uh, the ARG beforehand and all the stories behind Shh. it. Oh, oh, sorry. Yes. Nice. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> yeah, I have I have such deep appreciation for it now which is interesting um that, that i've come into the episode thinking okay i get it and then i left going wow there's actually so much more to explore than, yes. I, than I even thought yeah when
2: i said we don't need to scratch the surface i wasn't i wasn't joking like i feel like in even the amount of time we've had to play it we haven't got close to <laughs> unraveling this beast <laughs>
1: oh, i need to do more interviews <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah thank you so much for joining us thank you just to remind the listeners the question for this episode was what was this scruffy so just to reiterate the question then for this
2: episode it is how important is story to you in a solo board gaming experience and to what extent does it mitigate anything that you Don't enjoy about a gaming experience when you play a game, having a good story or
0: a dramatic moment. Excellent. And if you want to respond to that question, you can do so through several means. Of course, you can reach out on our Discord. The links to that are in the description. It's free to join. So uh, yeah, we'll see you over there. You can also email us. We're always player1podcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can reach out on Facebook and on Instagram. Links to both are in the description. We're on Instagram as at always player one podcast. We're also on Reddit. You can catch us in the solo board gaming subreddit. And it's always underscore player underscore one of course if you'd like to support the show you can check us out on patreon if you will join us on patreon you'll get access to our behind the scenes planning phase show which is getting really exciting at the moment because we have so much coming up you can also support us on coffee just go over there and buy us a cup of coffee we'll use that money to get ourselves a copy of lost ruins of Arnak, which uh, we're really looking forward to covering on the show. Alternatively, another way to support the show is to tell someone about us. We love when you guys chat about us online. What you say about us is much more effective than any kind of promotional post I could write, any kind of paid advertisement, not that we've ever done that, but, but any type of advertisement we can do is pretty much non-void compared to one positive recommendation online so you guys have the power to make the show even better but yeah that's pretty much everything for myself uh thank you guys so much for listening uh we'll catch you in a week if you're over on a patreon on planning Face, and if not we'll catch you in two weeks for another episode of always player one thank you guys for listening and thank you again james for joining us today thank you thanks for listening If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.